Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Hey Hey NWA. It's Zach again. Uh, today we're going to wrap up our conversation that we had with Dayton Castleman. This will be our third and final installment in this three-part series of episodes that you have or have not been listening to. If you haven't heard the last two episodes, you can go back and listen to those for some context if you want. You definitely don't have to. Um, like I said in the second episode, I really think a lot of the meat of our conversation comes through in the second episode. However, this conversation is really good too. Peyton talk or not Peyton. Peyton doesn't hardly talk at all. Dayton, excuse me. Dayton talks um about his own artwork where I pester him about all of his past pieces. Um, and he talks about collaborating with um Matt McClure, who's one of the chefs, or he's the head chef at the Hive in Bentonville. He talks about the creative process and what creativity looks like and how there's this notion of like problem solving with it. Really great stuff if you want to hear all that. That is in this episode. Uh, One last quick announcement real quick before we jump into the episode. One last reminder about Saturday's event uh, with Meg Meredith. It'll feature a live podcast, us. It'll feature slam poets and uh, not slam poets, but other poets and live painting and uh, beer and snacks and making great friends. And there's going to be a musician there and it's going to be such a good time. So if you haven't gone to check out that event yet on Facebook, you can do so on our Facebook page or Meg has an event on her Facebook page. They're the same event. We just shared her event, whatever. Um, But go check that out because it's going to be a really, really great time. Um, Now, we'll get back to that conversation that we were having with Dayton. I hope you guys enjoy and happy November, everybody. You'd ask about the chopsticks. Yeah, yeah. I could go back to the things that led me from drawing and painting to into doing like yeah i would love to hear about your artwork kind of where a lot of your conceptual things are you know what usually is the theme yeah can broadly around those and i would love to hear about your wife's art what kind of work she does too okay um anybody that knows as well knows that my wife is by far the best artist in the family Mm -hmm. by a long shot um although we work in different disciplines uh my work honestly i really didn't know what to make when i was studying drawing and painting i had a hard time with content i had a really hard time with subject matter um i think in part is because i wanted to be i i like metaphor and i wanted to be metaphorical um and painting has moved away from metaphor so i'm i'm kind of swimming opposite the direction of the the stream when it comes to contemporary painting um and uh so never really felt 
super at home. And then I moved to Philadelphia and I met some painters that are still very good friends of mine and love very much. And it was meeting these real painters, meeting people who, for whom the paint itself was an important part of the whole thing. For me, the paint was always a means to an end. It was mm -hmm. a way to make an image. Um, they were much more invested in the material itself. And like reimagining how you use paint. Is that the idea? Not so much in like a radical or like a cliche sort of experimental way, okay. but just devoted attention to what paint can accomplish. Okay. Um, in many cases, still very, um, you might not know that, you know, the person that painted it was, well, you would if you knew paint, you know, if you knew art how devoted they were to understanding the way the the medium worked period um but uh that just sort of made me realize like what i'm doing is really just using paint to make pictures but i'm not a painter right and that was an important realization when you know you have a degree from you know college in painting yeah, <laughs> absolutely like, absolutely like, oh so that's what it's kind of all about I have utmost respect for them and for painters. Um, it was during that time in Philadelphia that I started, I created basically kind of an artist co-op, only I did so in a downtown Philadelphia Presbyterian church that had a very small congregation and a very large building. And so was able to propose this project where I would put together this basically kind of a studio complex in unused space and that those artists um, we would just basically create an artist community inside the space mm -hmm. and the church didn't charge us rent and they paid the utilities so it was nice. the lowest hanging sort of and at the time I didn't appreciate like that's not usually how the world works mm -hmm. you know um, and uh, I think it made my acclimation to Bentonville a little bit more difficult um, <laughs> You mean this is gonna cost Wait, me to something? <laughs> um, but uh, but I think there was some foresight on the in the leadership of that church and and a desire to help out a group of people who typically don't have a lot of money but have a felt need, which is space to work. Yeah, and we're living in Philly. We all got like tiny apartments, and you know. Not a lot of people have extra bedrooms and stuff like that. They can turn to studios. Mm -hmm. So it's felt need by a community that typically doesn't have a whole lot of uh, capital laying yeah, around ready to throw in a real estate. And um, so that was my first experience of that cross-pollination that you're talking about because we assembled this group of 12 artists who were doing all different sorts of things. Um, and it was across the street from a historic penitentiary called Eastern State Penitentiary Historic Site uh, that's very famous for its prison architecture. Um, and they have a long-running artist installation program so that artists from around the globe, um, they don't charge you a fee to submit a proposal, which is... That's perfect. That's a huge... Oftentimes that'll tell you whether they're serious or not. You know, mm -hmm. yep. sometimes spaces that charge the $35 fee or something like that, it's a cash cow for them and good on them. Right. Um, but what I didn't realize at the time was that 
you know, this was really a serious thing. And there are people that proposed installations from overseas and everything else. And, but my, so my studio is just a few blocks away. And, um, I had started making some sculpture work following my first brain surgery. And that was a pretty immediate change. I started making these smaller, but definitely objects, not two dimensional works. And I go on this tour of that penitentiary artist orientation tour, and they talk about being site specific. In other words, paying attention to the history of the space, paying attention to the architecture of the space, mm -hmm. um, paying attention to the sociology of the space. They're saying, pay attention to all of these things. And these things can all become parts of interesting projects that engage those dynamics of this historic uh, building. Right. And I had never done that before, but it was really a fascinating process. I spent hours and hours and hours inside that penitentiary. Um, I read books on it, you know, went to the Philadelphia Public Library and got what I could find on Eastern State Penitentiary. Um, so I read, I researched, I learned as much as I could about the space, and then I just spent time there. Um, and that was a transformative experience because it was the first time that it's very easy for an artist, especially younger artists, to become preoccupied with the their internal landscape and life as subject matter of their work in other words express your feelings you yeah, know express that, how you feel yeah um tell us about what you're what's going on in here and pour it out onto that canvas and your friends are going to come to the show and they're going to tell you they love it yeah i had a professor who would always say mr benson would always say you can't make any work about anything until you first make work about you and get all the narcissism out of the way. Yeah, I mean, I think so. There's a little bit of that. I think I had the post brain surgery works were absolutely unapologetically about that internal, like that really freaked me out. Yeah. It was a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. So there was some, uh, degree of, uh, therapeutic nature to that work. In this case, you know, basically this guy who gave us this tour gave instructions. He was like, pay attention to the space, pay attention to the architecture, pay attention to the social, cultural, racial, religious, all of these dynamics, these dials, you know, that you can tune inside the space. Um, these are the types of projects that often do well. Mm. And I thought, okay, I can do that. Um, or at least I'll try to do that yeah. and put one of these things together. And um, the turning point for that project was after spending like hours and hours and hours inside the prison, just sort of walking around and looking. The first time that I stumbled on the discipline of like looking at the pole, you know, yeah. just sit there and look at the pole. Mm -hmm. Shut up, look at the pole. Uh, was that I did a project that was completely externally focused. It was not about me in any explicit or personal respect. It was all about this space. Now that it was generated from me, gave me a lot of satisfaction. Um, but for the first time, it was like the subject matter was this thing out there and it was very freeing. Um, and I really have not stopped doing work like that until I did the, uh, the astronaut project, hmm. which was I, once again, I kind of turned the focus 
the subject matter of the work became my own experience. Right. Um, but you know, it's been a pole, it's been a canopy. It's all, what's nice about architecture and dealing with it in art is that you share it with other people. What you mm -hmm. don't share is your internal dialogue. <laughs> what yeah. you don't share is your internal life or your emotions. Yeah. Um, what I do share is like that table sitting in front of us. Yeah. I share that with you two guys. And so this is common ground. And if I can transform this shared thing, in a way that makes it more interesting uh, to you or another person, um, that's highly motivating to me, and I really enjoy that process. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you asked about the chopsticks. I'm still yeah, getting let's, yeah. Let's move to so, yeah. chopsticks. So I, so I do that. I, I make paintings, and then I make a few devotional, like personal sculptures mm -hmm. about dying, and then I make this giant, like, thing out of 600 feet of steel pipe that has various components over 11 acres of this, is this site. the penitentiary? This is the penitentiary thing. Okay. So it goes from, and any of these things you can see on my website, um, it goes from very small to all of a sudden I've done this monumental thing and whoa, uh, was the, it really sort of, I don't know, when you've only ever made things that you can hold and then you spend six months making something that's that takes longer and is larger than anything you've ever done. It shakes up your thinking a bit. Yeah. Um, I had the fortune then of the very next year getting another pretty large project commission in Philadelphia, another pretty visible one. And those two things are what propelled me to graduate school. And it was when I began graduate school that I, I no longer had these like really super interesting spaces to work with. It's nice if somebody gives you a 250 year old prison. Yeah, for sure. To like do something interesting. Yeah, well, no doubt. you're already pretty far ahead cause you've got a 250 year old Gothic prison. Yeah. It's pretty swell. Um, so going back to the studio was somewhat difficult. And uh, I started thinking of this idea of bridging what had come from, to the graduate school experience and sort of literalizing that um, made two works that adapted bridge imagery specifically. Um, but then the, uh, the chopstick bridge was because uh, I was eating at Panda Express a lot on, uh, was it on Adams or on Monroe, whatever, like right a block, a half a block away from Michigan Avenue and the loop. Okay. And, um, and just, you know, I'm in turmoil. Now I'm in grad school. I have to make things. I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, you know, looking at my chopsticks and thinking about how many chopsticks I have used the last week, you know? Yeah. Like, and I started to pay attention to the chopstick. And sure enough, it's just like a little, you know, seven inch piece of quarter inch wood. It's a nice stick, yeah. you know, and it's free. Um, the reality that I was not going to be able to steal enough chopsticks to make anything interesting. That was going to be my That dawned on me quickly. I was about to say, you used the word free, yeah. and I was a little concerned about <laughs> but it. Then I, but then it dawned on, but well, then I decided, well, what I will, would like to do is to go to Chinatown and go in some Chinese grocery stores and just see what kind of chopsticks I can find. And mm -hmm. if I can find any that I can buy in large quantities for relatively cheap. And I found these 
you know, gold foil embossed um, bamboo chopsticks. Yo. So they're strong. Um, they're not like nice chopsticks, but they're, I think, considered reusable chopsticks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then endeavored to build a model, not really a model, but a, to to use the form of the arch span bridge, which is, I think, it's it's the most elegant bridge to me because you just have a flat top this horizontal line mm-hmm. and then you've got this arc underneath it you yeah. know and and that there's just that beautiful arcing curve with this horizontal line perched on top of it supported by these horizontal uh, by these vertical structures was just delicious sounding um and uh i had you know a wall i had four walls on this studio of mine and so the thought of bridging creating a bridge from one wall of the studio to the other wall of the studio building it doing some research and basically miniaturizing the bridge building techniques that would be utilized to actually build one of those bridges i looked at specifically at the new new river gorge bridge um which is one of the most photographed and famous of these giant steel uh, arcing arch span bridges. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of info on how they built it. So I kind of recreated, on recreated their scale. technique yeah. for building this span across this giant space where, you know, you, you can't build from the bottom. It's too high. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's how I got into doing structures like that's what i was going to get at is like then you start to see in your work like a lot of like structural elements yeah and a lot of large-scale metal work i guess it's what it is a lot of things that look like cranes bones you know yeah so cranes too they were building the new modern wing of the art institute and we had a sculpture courtyard outside the graduate studios um which is a place to congregate i think you weren't supposed to smoke there but i think it happened especially in the winter <laughs> yeah you know and i certainly found myself out there from time to time and they're building the modern wing uh like right practically on the other side of the wall uh from this uh open courtyard and so these cranes would be swooping over you know, you'd see these giant structures and some i think just kind of a drawn to the the drawn to frameworks i like you know bones um the things that give the internal structure to things even like the ideas in one sense when i call myself conceptual artist the ideas are the internal structures of the things that you see yes yeah there is a framework or an internal structure to the three feathers for example right a whole like a, a both a simple drawing and then a much longer thought process of now you have to make a decision about every single thing that that it ends up being formed by. Um, so yeah, that preoccupation with frames. You can also, you know, frames are easy to build from scratch. Mm-hmm. You don't need a complex manufacturing process to build really cool frameworks. You need some form of adhesive, you know, when it's steel, it's just, you're cutting sticks and welding them together, yep. you know, and in particular lengths and angles. Um, 
and with other things, you know, just hot glue. I've used a lot of hot glue. <laughs> so, yeah, frameworks became a big part of it um, uh-huh. and have persisted in other maybe more abstract ways. Yeah. Um, there's one more piece I want to ask about uh-huh. that I'm curious about, um, and it's the reinterpretation of the Rene Magritte piece. This is not a pipe, except you used a pipe bomb, and you had yeah. a. It was yeah. both sculptural and yeah a painting. Uh-huh. You had a basically a fake pipe bomb sitting on the table, yeah. and a painting of that same uh-huh. pipe bomb. And so I'm just curious where that came from because that I kind of love Rene Magritte. I, <laughs> so. I well, yeah. So I've I've always liked the the title of the painting you're referring to is the treachery of images. Ceci n'est pas une pipe. This is not a pipe. Mm-hmm. And immediately the first time, you know, in art history classes in undergrad in late nineties or mid nineties, early, gosh, it's been a long time. When I learned about that work, I was, I was intrigued by it because it, there's, you have an interesting thing going on here now that, uh, you know, what is that? It's a pipe. It says, this is not a pipe. Strictly speaking, it's a representation of a pipe. It's a two-dimensional um, uh, illusion of a pipe, but not a pipe. And so to write on it, this is not a pipe, is accurate um, on one level. And uh, But that's not how we usually interpret images. Right. You know? See, that's pipe. We, you know, since the day we're born, I have kids, you know, it's like you hold the picture. Apple, good, you know, clap. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, the pipe bomb was related to that, but it was also thinking about a quote by, it's been attributed to Ad Reinhardt, the painter Ad Reinhardt. I've also heard it attributed to other people, so I don't know who actually said it, and I don't, the internet doesn't seem to agree exactly who said it, but it was um, during this post-war period in modern painting, uh, where you know Clement Greenberg's writing defensive painting, um, and the quote is, you know, a sculpture is something that you bump into when you back up to look at a painting <laughs> you know obviously said by a painter uh-huh, obviously um and meant to be you know a dig at sculpture and uh so i thought to test that aphorism to test that little theory i would create a painting and i would create a sculpture and i would see just which one was more powerful. And one of my litmus tests for it was, which of these objects would they let you take on an airplane? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Huh. The painting or the sculpture? Yeah. You're not bringing the sculpture on the airplane because in spite of the fact that this is just, you know, a Home Depot length of black pipe with a couple caps on the end of it, mm. um, you're just not going to put that in your luggage. And it's going to be a difficult sculpture to ship, for yes. example. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, I never showed it anywhere where I didn't drive it because uh-huh. you worry about that. You know, you're going to put something that on an x-ray looks exactly like a pipe bomb in the mail. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so to this idea then of situating, putting the, so the painting has got a green 
an off-green house paint ground with this with a painting of the original pipe bomb before itself it itself was painted um so it did this painting somewhat realistic of that pipe bomb and then i painted the pipe bomb the color of the ground of the painting so the pipe bomb is this green with the black and red wires coming out right. of the cap and i've situated the painting on the wall about five feet or so um from the uh oh, five feet or so away from the painting mm -hmm. a, a pedestal with the sculpture on it um my the idea that was actually a really easy idea that i just ran out of time on doing and was also actually a little bit concerned about because it was going to show this piece first at a college judson up there in aurora or something northwest of chicago mm -hmm. was to take those two wires and run them to some sort of nondescript box and then put a red button on the back of the of the pedestal uh-huh um so it's just sort of again just more of a humorous type of work but yeah. playing around with the the consequences of backing up into mm -hmm. the sculpture <laughs> to look at the painting yeah could be dire yeah um but i love playing with that that idea of representation that dynamic the um the piece that i did with chef matt mcclure at the hive for the sensory iconoclast show yeah. three or four years ago played with the same idea where i asked chef matt to um bake me a corn muffin very simple bakes me a pan of corn muffins and i selected one that i liked and created a cast of that and then cast 21 plaster corn muffins and then painted them to look as realistically like real corn muffins as possible. So, uh -huh. um, and they were pretty convincing and then laid them out in muffin tins at the show. And then asked chef Matt, I brought him one of my, a couple of my painted corn muffins and asked him to bake 21 muffins that resembled my muffins as closely as possible. Uh -huh. So I'm making muffins based on his uh -huh. muffins. Now he's supposed to cook them long enough to try to bring them up to the same color as my muffins and they're all situated in these seven six cell muffin tins 21 real muffins and 21 fake muffins and two different pans are they they're are they mixed so, up you know like a, 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 a it's a two by three yeah, yeah, yeah. grid muffin pan um I didn't mean to question your knowledge of muffin pans. On I the did work in, in a such bakery. a public I forum. did work in a bakery. <laughs> um, so you got 21 of the real muffins, 21 yeah. fake muffins. All the muffin spots are filled. And for the opening, it was set laid out like it was part of the food for the opening. And people would, you know, people would, try to grab muffin and sometimes they would realize that well, the muffin that they're grabbing is not really a muffin yes it's a piece of plaster it's uh -huh. a sculpture so then they grab a real muffin and once all of the 21 real muffins are gone the remaining muffins spell muffins in braille so you've got this oh my god you've got the the language attached to it however the language is encoded in a way that works with 
the sort of na- native habitat of the muffins. It just so happens you can buy a two by three muffin tin, yeah. which just is exactly a braille cell. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. You fill some of them and it's going to spell something if you do it in the right way. Um, so the remaining fake muffins spell, they create another representation of a muffin, which is the word. Mm-hmm. Far more abstract than acrylic on plaster. Yeah. Um, so that that idea of playing around with um, with what does it mean to represent something, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and those artists like Magritte, uh, like Joseph Kosuth, who the Muffin Project was somewhat inspired by, um, those artists I really I love what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know. Looking yes. under the hood of language and images and representation and using art to sort of poke at it and learn new things. Mm-hmm. Subvert it and yeah. change it. Mm-hmm. And Surprise you with it. it. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Totally. Sorry, we're geeking out over here, Peyton. <laughs> Looks like Peyton's <laughs> geeking out over there. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm. The thing is, I'm not as much as a creator... Um, but I appreciate it. So I'm over here. Well, I mean, created mm-hmm. this podcast, I guess. But, you know, I don't know. I, I never mind. Tell me this. Do you ever encounter problems while analyzing real estate? I don't want to, like, say too much about, like, your job specifically, but you do analysis, you look at real estate, and you make decisions based on you know what you try to make good decisions sure you have problems when you're doing that do you not yes you encounter, yeah so this is the thing i think that's misunderstood about being a creative person um when you encounter a problem it means that the world in its current state as you're from your perspective as you see it or as it's presented to you at that point um is not working correctly. The only way to make it work correctly is to conceive of something that doesn't exist yet that could be brought into reality that makes it work correctly. You know, it's very simple when it's like a broken stick or something. Roby. You put a little broken roby, yeah, you put a little glue on the stick, you put the two ends together. That's a state that that stick did not exist in moments before and you kind of had to think of this thing that doesn't exist yet in your head in order to put it back together. And now you have a whole stick again. And I hear a lot of people, especially on the corporate side and living in Bentonville, you know, I meet lots of people, they're corporate that when they meet you and they learn that you're an artist, they um, will immediately sort of qualify themselves and say, well, I'm not really a creative person. You know, I work in like logistics, you know, Oh, so you like move objects all around the earth with precise timing in the most efficient way possible. Is that ever, does that ever present you with any challenges or difficulties? Do you ever have to try to conceive of a way of doing something that hasn't been invented yet? You know, my favorite people to hear that from are engineers because like your job is defined (laughs) by that sort of work. So it's impossible that you're not a creative person because you wouldn't do the work that you do right now. What you don't do is create your own problems. And I think that's the distinction between a creative person like me and like you. Like 
you know, problems are sort of invented for you or they just exist out there. What I do is I think of a problem that doesn't exist yet. And then, yeah, or, you know, or some notion that creates a gap in what I understand that it only appeared because I was trying to figure out what I don't understand. And sure, then, like that that pole doesn't have anything on it. And, and the pole was going to be just fine sitting where it was. It yeah. wasn't like screaming for like do something to me, but it gets presented to me as, I guess in that case it was presented like from the outside as a problem. But for a lot of my work, um, you know, I'm looking for problems to solve. And then that creative process is one that I, I, I really believe it's got far more analogs to a lot of the people that work in corporate world um, believe that it does oftentimes. So I think you're a creative person, Peyton. I think you have to be by nature. That's true. Yeah, what you do. You believe that. I do, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's just a, yeah. You may not be an artist, but no, that's no, fine. No, I'm not. In, but, but yeah, I... I think that's a really interesting way of framing it. It was just creating, yeah, creating problems. I don't, I've just literally never thought of it that you way. Make so it up. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. It's the sort of thing that makes a person like myself think that I, if I learned enough about it, I'd probably find, I could see myself finding satisfaction in, almost any type of work I could conceive of as long as there's problems to solve, you know? Well, I'm even thinking about what we're doing right now. So we are creating a podcast that exists in a space where, you know, there are other podcasts, but are there other Northwest Arkansas-focused podcasts, like just on life and culture besides NPR? <laughs> um, but, like, we are, we have created a problem for ourselves. We have created this this hole that we perceive that we need to fill, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying when to, when you like, decided that, Hey, let's do a podcast called Hey, Hey, NWA and let's do it once a month or whatever. You just created 12 problems for the next year. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's more than that. 12 holes. Sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes, fortunately, whatever um, it is, you created them, you know, it's true. you dug those holes and now you have to fill them with something. Yeah. Get that. It's good. That's why I like what you guys are doing. I, like I said, I've never been on a podcast. And, <laughs> and here I've you been are. super excited about it. Podcast is so much more relaxing than a TED Talk. I Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. You also a had a time time <laughs> specification of 20 minutes on a TED Talk. Yeah, and here you know, we can talk, have a brew, hang out, and hopefully the things that come out of our mouths will be of interest to right. <laughs> someone other than ourselves. To the 14 people. Maybe. <laughs> to the 14 people. To all 14 people. Mm -hmm. We love you, 14 listeners. We really do. Oh, we if it wasn't them. for you, we wouldn't be... Well, we might do this. Yeah, <laughs> I think we would. I've got to pass something on to my kids at some point, maybe. All right. Anyway. I enjoy this so much, I might start my own podcast. Start one yourself. And just create that problem. Start creating... No, I'm not. <laughs> I couldn't afford one of these mics, probably. This is pretty nice setup you got here. You'd be surprised. Yeah. Well, they're not super duper 
fancy. They look pretty normal, but we'll come invade the experimental house and we'll teach everybody there how to podcast. Sounds honestly. good. Come do one at the. Just come record one. At the I would love to. House. I, I mean, would absolutely love obviously to. Obviously, it's going on your little computer there, so you just bring that over. And <laughs> we are we are mobile. Yeah, we are, we are quite mobile. Hit the road. Take totally this show one. on the road. Okay, mm. you want to wrap this, Peyton? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to promote, real quick? Oh well. Well, you know, experimental houses. We're doing ad hoc uh, events and things of that sort. Uh, we have a couple of things on the books for November with the Photographic Society of Northwest Arkansas presenting um, an exhibition that they're actually curating of Northwest Arkansas photographers. Oh, nice. um, I haven't seen all the images for that show yet, but uh, Chuck Davis, one of the principals in running that um this is a good eye. So I think it should be a pretty good show. Yeah. Um, and we're just kind of uh, plugging away till our lease expires at the end of March and we figure out what to do next. Uh, but where can we go to find your work? Mm-hmm. And then where can we go to find what's going on with Roger's Experimental House? And when might be we be able to show up and hang out? <laughs> <laughs> well, experimentalhouse.com is the website for the experimental house. Um, it's a, it's a non hours sort of pop up at this point. There aren't any kind of regular hours in part because it's so project based that it tends to happen in the form of events or a more steady, regular use like Justin working on his home brewing experiment, Mew brew. Um, and my website is Dayton Castleman.com. My D-A-Y-T-O-N. Dayton, Castleman. spelled like Dayton, Ohio. There you Cast- go. I guess it's Castle easier. spelled like the building and man spelled by like the person. So, Excellent. Yeah, Very it's pretty, pretty easy. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be able to hang out this with you fellows. So Absolutely. Good. You guys were super. Um, I enjoyed this a ton. Yeah. Congratulations on your first podcast, by the way. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm excited. i good friend of mine i heard on a podcast uh just a few weeks ago and so i was uh made me sort of jealous <laughs> time to show him it up. was a little bit bigger podcast but we're well on our way you got those yeah. 14 i think hey hey nwa is such a great handle that it's got to succeed thank you that's peyton that's yeah peyton. thank you solid solid Title, hey, hey, NWA. It's fun. It's to the point. Easy breezy. It talks about the, you know, it identifies the region. It just says, hey, hey. Hey, NWA. Good branding. <laughs> good, good branding. It does this, It does the trick. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been a y'all. blast. It really has been. Can I, at what point should I move out behind the microphone? I'll wait for you to stop it. Mm-hmm.